Lord is so good to us. He's such a good shepherd. We really do have nothing to worry about. Amen? Zero. Nothing in all of creation can take us away from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We have zero financially to worry about, physically. We have nothing to fear. We've actually been bought with a price. Our lives are not our own. And so anything that touches us must pass through this father filter. And he says, not even a hair of your head will perish. I'm so stirred up by that tonight, that he's, he's such a careful, gentle father with us. And so I want to piggyback uh, just for a few minutes here tonight off of what I said last week. If you, if you weren't here and you have a chance to listen to it, I don't ever do this, but I want to encourage you to listen to my sermon from last week, February 13th. I, I really believe it was done in weakness. Yes, do it, Luke. Thanks, Luke. That was the most awkward moment we've ever had here. Thank you. Thank you. Just, just get him out of here. No, I, I, I think I, I am a little bit reticent to do that because I'm like, hey, listen to my sermon. But I'm like, guys, it, it was done in weakness and all that. But I feel like the Lord had a word to say to us about worry. And I just want to sew that in. So I'm just going to do a real quick recap here. So last week I talked about that worry is a sin, that, that Jesus says, don't commit adultery, don't commit murder, don't lie. And he also said, don't worry. And sometimes we can focus on the negative consequences of those, but we don't think about the real world negative consequences of worry. And just, we talked about the five-step progression in James chapter one of sin and how it comes in and, and it starts off actually in the evil human heart and, it, and we're dragged away and we're enticed and then enticed leads to luring and then we, conception happens, it gives birth to sin. When sin full grown gives birth to Death, every single time. Big or small, sin always leads to death. It does not matter what it is. And so we talked about how worry is a sin that we actually commit. Jesus says two times in Matthew 6, do not worry about your life, what you're gonna eat or you're gonna drink, and don't worry about what else? Anybody remember? Tomorrow. Don't worry about your life and don't worry about tomorrow. He says it twice and he's like, I really want this to hit home for you guys because worry actually does something to us. It actually comes in and takes its pride and it takes our eyes off of the good shepherd that we have, the good father, and it sets our eyes on ourself and it sets our eyes on our circumstances and what might happen. And then all of a sudden we're, we're covered up and our bushel basket gets covered, or our light gets covered with a bushel basket. If you've not noticed, you typically don't share your faith when you're worried. You typically don't give encouragement when you're worried. You typically don't give a word prophetically to someone to bless them when you're worried. Worrying bottles us up, and the Lord says, don't worry. Don't worry, because I want you to be like little children who aren't worried about what they're going to eat or drink or what they're going to wear. They're not worried about tomorrow. It's just right now in this day. And so the devil sings these songs about you got to prepare for tomorrow. You got to think about your life. You've done the math. The money won't work out. The relationship won't work out. Or he sings this song about today and your health and you're feeling weird, whatever. And we echo back that song. But we are not first tempted by the devil. We're first led astray 
by our wicked hearts and our wicked desires. And the devil just sings along in tandem with us. And I finished up last week with how do we guard against worry? Well, we need a new heart. So primarily, if you're not a believer, say yes to Jesus, right? Jesus comes in and he changes our heart. He gives us a new heart and new affections. We actually desire what's good for us, not what's bad. But as believers now, if you're sealed with the Spirit, and I believe this is a believer's meeting here, how do you protect against worry? Well, Philippians 4 tells us, it's famous. Do not be anxious about anything unless it's really worth being anxious about. No, 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 I'm sorry. That's the message translation. Don't be anxious about anything. Sorry, I'm, I, that was mean, that was mean, sorry. Don't be anxious about anything, but, every, but in everything with prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And here's the promise. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And I finished up last week with that word guard, means like a military guard to guard against hostile invasion. And second definition is a military guard that keeps the inhabitants of a besieged city from taking flight, from running away too fast, saying, no, hang out, hang out, deliverance is coming, wait right here. And so when he says he'll guard our heart and our mind, I believe it guards our heart from hostile invasion and it guards our mind from taking flight into tomorrow. The peace of God sounds like this ooey-gooey, fluffy thing sometimes, but no, it's a military guard that keeps us in right now. It keeps us safe and secure, free from worry, so that we can flow with the life we were meant to flow with. Please go listen to the sermon because I said a lot more than that. That's just the recap. This is part two to that. And I, and I just want <clears throat> to pick up with, with I, I think I preached about 80% of it last week. The other 20% is, yeah, worrying kind of stinks and it makes you not do what you're supposed to do. But ultimately, worry leads to God not getting the glory that he rightfully deserves from us image bearers, from, from, procl from proclaiming it's going to be okay because he's good. And, and it actually expands the kingdom as we, as we choose not to worry in these difficult circumstances. It expands his glory to people and they say, you're not freaked out about this situation. You should be freaked out about what's wrong with you. And it's a testimony to the Lord's glory and his goodness. So, because committing this sin of worry keeps us from giving him the praise and the glory and the adoration he deserves, and because committing this sin of worry keeps us from flowing freely as we were meant to flow, like the, the rivers of living water flowing out from us, this is a big deal. Because worry affects us that much, it's something that we should pay attention to in the scriptures. And that's all I'm trying to do. I was so convicted about this. As the number one warrior in the room, as chief offender number one, I speak to you out of weakness and saying, this is what the Lord's doing in my heart. I've been thinking a lot of scripture lately in context of the corporate instead of in the individual. And, and I think that's what this word tonight, I wanna couch that in. We read scripture saying that, that you and we read it to be individual, and that's absolutely true. But sometimes I think the Lord is, is having a step back and seeing that the word you is y'all as the body of Christ. For instance, the Proverbs 31 woman, she does not fear, but she laughs at the days to come. That's true for godly wives. That's also truth for the body of Christ. God is looking for a church that laughs 
at the days to come. That says, I, ch- I will not go there no matter what it looks like might happen. I will laugh at the days to come. I will not be overcome with anxiety, okay? So a corporate word that's often taken individually. So here's two timeless truths for you to start off. Proverbs chapter 15, humility comes before honor. Second truth, one chapter later, Proverbs chapter 16, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. We've all seen it one million times on TV or in our own lives and relationships. These truths never, ever fail. They're always true. You find someone who is humble, walking in humility and getting low, what's about to happen to them? And I tell you, it's going to be cool. Stick close to that person because they're about to get honored big time. You watch a guy or a gal walking in all kinds of pride, beating their chest, glory is everything I'm doing. Watch out. You take a step back away from that person because their fall is going to be great. The higher the ego, the harder the fall every time. It's true. We all know that, right? So grace, it says in the scriptures, grace, the word is Charis is individual, yes, but it's corporate. So we are saved by grace, Ephesians chapter 2. We have received grace upon grace from his fullness, and we grow in grace in 2 Peter chapter 3. That's all true individually. It's also true, and especially true in this season, corporately. We actually together grow in grace. As the body of Christ is built up, we grow up into Christ Jesus, into this charis, into this unearned favor. The the favor of the Lord given to us freely and without anything we've ever done to deserve it. Corporately, we can grow in grace. Did you know that? A body, a particular group in a region can grow in grace. A body in a particular region can grow in humility. A body in a particular region can grow in pride and can take a nosedive. It's true individually and it's true corporately because the Lord looks at us both ways and he speaks to us that way. Past tense, it's been given, but it's available to all. It's been given to all of us in Christ Jesus, this grace, this charis, this unmerited favor, but it's available to all. But then there's this one time in Acts chapter 4 that just kind of really drew me to it this week. In Acts chapter 4, I saw something I hadn't seen before, and it's tied into what I want to get back to uh, tonight about humility. And it says in verse 32, all the believers in this one region in Jerusalem in the first century church All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And here it is. And great grace was upon them all. Great grace. Doesn't say that anywhere else. Great grace. What is up with that? Great grace was upon them all. That word great in Greek is megas. It's where we get the word mega. So what you could say here is this church in this particular region, this body was experiencing and walking and living in mega grace. 
Mega unmerited favor. Now, favor available to all, grace in Christ Jesus, yes, but they tapped into something that took it to a new level. Mega grace. And the Amplified says, God's unmerited favor rested richly upon them all. Great grace. So that mega word is is used to describe dimension and space, like weight, like super heavy or intensely uh, uh, very long or something like that, or, or quantity and abundance of amount, intense emotion like violence, great violence, or, or mighty, or great rank like an excellence. This mega word is used all over the Bible. It's used all over the place in Revelation. More than any other book is this mega word used, and it's used for like the great persecution, the great tribulation, the great day of the Lord, the great white throne, great hailstones. There's a great chasm that divides people. There's a great herd of pigs. It's all over the scriptures. We have dunamis power, great dunamis power. You have joy, great kara, great joy, all over the place. But one single time here, and there's one other time after this, it's great grace. And there's a little key for us that I want to teach into here. God is building a megachurch. Yeah? He's building a megachurch, not like we think he's building a megachurch. Men build megachurches. Jesus builds the megachurch. He's after a megachurch that's great in their grace. That's what he wants. So only two times in the Bible, one here in Acts 4 and one other time, is mega charis put together like that in a sentence. Only two times in the scriptures. And I want to ask the question, what did great grace look like in the church in the first century in Acts? Well, we all kind of know. It's like what we aspire to, right? They, they prayed when Jesus told them to pray. They weren't afraid in the face of persecution. They were rejoicing when they got beat up. They were selling their property because they wanted everybody to have enough. And they were so focused on their eternal reward and destiny. They're like, what does it matter if I have lands or houses or any type of portfolio. I just give it to the apostles and they can distribute it. It was amazing. They broke bread together daily in their homes. They devoted themselves to prayer and to the apostles' teaching, and they were just having so much fun. That's what great grace looks like when the church walks in that. Why was there extra or great or abundant grace for the church? And, and lastly, how can we become imitators of this church and getting that level of revival again? We pray for revival all the time. We want that. There's a very simple answer. What did they do to get that great grace? And the answer is found the second time we find this in the Bible. So go to James chapter four. The only time that these two words are used together again like that. It's in James chapter 4, starting in verse 6. But he gives us greater grace. And that is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, or he actually sets himself as a warrior in battle array against pride. But he shows charis, or he shows favor, or he gives grace to the humble. Submit 
yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. The church today is not honored in America. The church today is sidelined in America. I'm not talking about persecution because the church here was persecuted. The church was highly honored in the book of Acts. The church today has leaders committing scandal left and right. The church today has adultery in it. Yes, I, I've, I, I deal with love of the world in my home. The church today is being drawn out like the church of Laodicea was being drawn out away from this world and there's a divorce happening with a marriage to the world and being separate for Christ. Yes? The church today is not very humble, but the Lord's helping us be humble. He's changing us. Why? Because when the church is humble, then we get great grace. Because in pride, the Lord stands against us in battle array like a warrior. Why does he do that? Because the first sin, pride, had to be met with an angelic army to throw Lucifer out of heaven. There was warfare that came with pride. And so God dresses himself up like a man of war again and says, if you choose pride, you choose the attitude of the devil. And I stand against that. I love you, but I stand against your pride. It has to go. I will not support pride in my church. However, I will, for those who choose to go low, I want to give great grace to you. Mega grace. It's going to be over-the-top grace. It's actually more than you're experiencing right now, the favor of the Lord in your homes, in your businesses, in your meetings. There's signs and wonders in the book of Acts. You ever wanted that? I want to see people healed. I want to see them raised from the dead. I want to see the hankies that leave people and they go heal people all over the place. I want to see that. And the Lord says, I want to see it too. And so I'm helping you be humble. I'm helping you because I want to see the church walk in grace. This is quoted two or three pages to your right again in 1 Peter chapter 5. It's said in a little bit of a different way, but it's really in context, it's summed up about the same. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders in the church. All of you, elders included, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Why? Well, it quotes Proverbs 3 again, because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor or gives grace to those who make themselves low or those who are humble. So then he says, so because of all that, if you want great grace from the Lord, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time, comma, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There's no period there. Unfortunately, NIV brought the hatchet down at the end of that sentence in verse six and it's not there. How do you humble yourselves under God's mighty hand? By casting your cares on him. How do I humble myself as a believer struggling with worry? I make my requests known in Philippians chapter 4. And I cast my cares off of myself and I cast them onto him. So last week, 
Humility is learned in making our requests known with thanksgiving. This week, humility is known with making our requests known by casting them off on to Jesus Christ. The theme is childlike faith. Who is the greatest? Who is the megas in the kingdom of God? Anybody remember what type of people are, are the greatest ones? The children. The children. Those who actually turn and they become like little children. We want to see healing signs and wonders and miracles. And the Lord says, I do too. And what I need you all to do is cooperate with me in the work I'm doing to humble you and help you go low. Did you know that God only brings revival to one class of people? There's one type of person and one type of person only who gets the revival they're praying for. Isaiah 57, we'll, we'll, we'll finish here with this. Isaiah chapter 57 tells us that. Well, revive means to make alive again, to bring back to life, to, to, to take that ember and, and stoke it back into flame. Well, how were we made alive in the first place? We humbled ourselves and called on the Lord for salvation. We looked off of ourselves. How are we revived? And it says here in Isaiah 57, 15, for this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Revival set aside in heaven by God to be poured out on only one type of person, the one who's humble and contrite in spirit, the one who's lowly, the one who gets their face on the ground before the Lord and says, Lord, have your way. Don't forget, a seed is sown in humility, Paul says, but then it comes back in honor. We are, John 12 says, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, if our old man, if we say no to ourselves and yes to Jesus and say, you do what you want, you choose my inheritance for me, and then it's raised up in honor, but it's sown in humility. So we take our old lives and our ambitions and our plans and our agenda and our security, and, and all of that, and as a living sacrifice, we put it on the altar, and we say, you choose. I'm not getting in the passenger seat. You're not my co-pilot. I'm not getting in the back seat. I'm walking around to the back of the car, opening the trunk, getting in, and closing the trunk, and saying, you drive. That's the way we live. I don't choose anymore. God chooses for me. And when we sow ourselves and our lives like that and we're broken down deep inside, he's like, oh, I can use this one now. I'll raise this one up to glory and honor. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. If you are willing to be nothing, God will make something of you. Love that. If you are willing to be nothing, God will make something of you of you. I want my life to count for something, Lord. Do something great through me. He says, yeah, that's what I want too. Now, we got to put you to death. We got to get rid of you. God's number one goal, Watchman Nee says, is to decentralize us. 
He's trying to reduce us because sin, don't forget, was a, you died to sin one time 2,000 years ago. It was a historical fact. On the cross of Jesus Christ, you died to sin. No more to serve it as a master. But if you hadn't noticed, death to self is a daily grind. It's a daily take up your cross process where God says, I want to reduce you. And not just the negative stuff, because it's not just the tree of the knowledge of evil. I got to reduce the noble stuff too, the good, the tree of knowledge of good. I got to get rid of all of it. None of it works. None of it can stand in my presence. I was reading this week in Deuteronomy. They were pouring the anointing oil, but he says the anointing oil cannot, is not allowed to touch the skin of the priest. Don't let it touch his skin when you're pouring it out. Why is that? Because the Lord says, I will not anoint the flesh. Never. I'll never anoint the flesh, no matter how flashy it is. No matter how good it looks, I'll never put my anointing on it. There could be false fire, but there'll be real fire. He says, no, no, I only anoint what's been born again, what's been broken through the ground and what's come up from death into life. I'll anoint that. So, freedom from worry, which is pride. When we worry, just remember, if you don't hear anything else I said, hear this. Every time you worry, you're being prideful. Woo! Every time I worry, I'm being prideful because all of a sudden I become God over that area of my life. God, I don't need you to be God in this area right now. I'll take it from here. That's pride. Every time though, we go low and cast our cares on him and make our requests known in humility, he just pours out great grace on us. He's ready to do it. He's ready for those who will cast away their lives onto him and let him do something with them. He wants to revive us. He wants to do it. And if we will humble ourselves before him, and we know this passage, and pray, humble ourselves, seek his face, turn, repent, he'll heal our land. We know he'll do that corporately and individually. Oh, humility wins the day. It's like all of my problems, it seems like, have come from my stinking pride, right? The things you say, what you do out of your pride, just, ugh. It, 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 it comes back, but man, you sow into the spirit and humility and it reaps right back in this beautiful way, a harvest of righteousness. So I want us, if you haven't guessed, to be a church, part of the church, but yes, we're a little flock here. I want us to walk in great grace. I want, to see, I want to see the Holy Spirit do what he did in the book of Acts. And I tell you guys, we do not have to be smarter to get this to happen. We don't necessarily even have to cry out day and night, night and day, day and night, and, and afflict ourselves with fasting five days a week. We don't necessarily have to do that. Do it if the Lord's calling you to do that. But he says, just choose humility. Just choose that and I'll take care of the rest. What do you tell the, the people in that? Go, Terry, just wait there until I pour out power from on high. So they just went and prayed. They just got up there for a few weeks and they just prayed. Small group, they prayed. Bam, fire of God falls and they're off to the races. It's beautiful. And that's what the Lord wants to do here. So as the chief 
prideful sinner in the room and as the chief warrior in the room, please hear me say, this is a sermon for me and for us. And I want us to walk in this together. And I want to walk in humility before the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. The word of the Lord that separates soul and spirit, God. Love your word. Lord, I pray for forgiveness on behalf of all of us here. I pray for forgiveness for committing the sin of worry over and over again. And I pray for freedom in Jesus' name. I thank you that we no longer have to serve sin as slaves. You've paid for it, Lord. I pray for freedom from worry in Jesus' name. I pray, Father, that we would be a people that humble ourselves by casting our cares on you, all of our anxieties, God. Mark us, God, as a people. I'm just praying, Lord, supernaturally, make us a humble people, Lord, that we might have that great grace. We want more grace, more favor, God. We want to see favor for salvation, that first century church, thousands of people a day coming to faith, Lord. I pray for that, God. I pray for favor, for, for prayer to stir up, Lord, here. I pray any and every area that you want to address in us, Lord, any and every area of pride, have your way, Holy Spirit, come. Lead us in righteous paths according to your name, Lord. For the sake of your name, Lord, lead us in righteous paths, Lord. Oh, Father, you're so gracious to us. You've shown us so much love, Lord. We just want to cooperate with you in this season, Lord. I pray for minds and hearts this week that are guarded from fear and anxiety and worry of all kinds, Lord. Peace of God, guard these hearts and minds here in this room and everyone who hears this message later, Lord. Watch over us, Lord. Oh, Lord, I thank you for the honoring that all of these people do on a regular basis, preferring one another over themselves. I pray that you would just fan that into flame. I pray more and more, God. This is as practical as practical gets, guys. This is rubber meets the road in your relationship with your spouse tomorrow or the coworker on Monday to go low, to prefer that person above yourself, to repent of wrong ways of speaking to them, wrong ways of acting. There's so much grace available for you right now, today, this week. There's so much great grace available for you when you say yes to humility. So, hey, look, there's my brother, Andy. Wave, wave, Andy. Come on, come on. You know what I'm about to say. Andy, my little brother, he is one of my favorite siblings. He's in the top five. I've got eight. I've got seven. And Andy, this week, we sat in a manager's meeting, and Andy gets there, and he says, I'm sorry to this guy for how I spoke to you. 
And before that, he said, I'm, I'm sorry to this guy for how I treated you there. And this meeting that was kind of good already, it was kind of a prayer meeting. I just, when he did that and, and humbled himself, it's like I just felt the oil of the Holy Spirit just go all over the room. You know, like if somebody says to you, like, I repent for the way I, how do you feel towards that person? Like, are you like, well, it's about time. Or what do you want to do to that person? You want to be like, oh, I love you so much. Thank you for doing that. I just, you see, like, it just produces grace out of your heart towards them. But pride and standing there and be like, you deserve that. I do not take back what I said about you. It produces this, ah, there's this opposition type of thing that happens in interpersonal relationships. But when Andy does that, it just releases grace in that meeting. It's so beautiful. That's what happens with God. Do you understand that? Like, God, we're made in God's image. So when we do that, when we repent, God's like, oh, I just love that little one. I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of her. I just want to give him a big hug right now. It's amazing to live in that, but you got to stay in humility to do that. You got to choose humility to do that. God will reward you. You might be unseen and unnoticed for a time, but I promise you're about to get noticed. He's about to hold you up like the builder of the house says, look at this house. Who gets more glory, the house or the builder? The builder, but who also gets glory? The house. I'm telling you, my brother's gonna be lifted up in honor because of what he did. Just like right now. So may it be among us corporately, guys. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, bless you guys. Thanks for coming. Have a great rest of your weekend. Be safe, Jesus' name. <laughs>